0: Mm. Shri La Guru Dev Ki Jai Shri Man Mahapiru Ki Jai Shri Harinam Sankirtan Ki Jai Gaur Bhaktavaranda Ki Jai mm. Gaur Parmanam Haribo So, pranam to all of you. Good morning from North Carolina. And all of you, welcome to our last meeting of our series of lectures about Vaishnava etiquette rules and love in the life of a sadaka. Mm-hmm. today we are in meeting number 19 and after almost I will say what three months uh, or two months or something we are reaching the end quote-unquote and mm-hmm. of all that we can say or some of what we can say about this concept of Marriyat or Vaishnava decorum mm-hmm. so, Today, in our last meeting, we will be sharing some various topics which were somehow or other not uh, able to be fit into some of the daily schedule dynamics that we have been sharing in our last mm. weeks, and also some brief conclusion to, to the whole series, for sure. Mm. But as usual, let's begin with a brief summary of what we saw in last during last Thursday, mm where we were sharing some words about prasad. And as usual, we began with some conceptual orientation of that, the principle of prasad and as non-different from Bhagavan. In this case, prasad, of course, means grace, but also especially extending to the conception of um, sacred food stuff, if you will, as a form of Bhagavan's grace. So, in the same way that Bhagavan is not different from the deity, that Bhagavan is not different from Srinam, that Bhagavan is not different from the Bhagavad, we could establish some connection, absolute type of connection between Bhagavan and his extended grace, and in this case, in the form of Prasad. Mm-hmm. So, to learn how to honor Prasad is a whole art, as Celeste Siddhar will say, to solve how we eat will solve everything else, since the eating is the most immediate, instinctive self-preservation impulse we may have here, so if we solve how to do that in the context of dedication well, that will really affect all other uh, our other movements in this world so all in this connection is that we say honoring prasad or prasad sevaya rendering seva to prasad to Bhagavan's grace and not so much taking prasad eating prasad but trying mostly to concentrate to what has been the experience of krishna when on, with having Prasad, when receiving what we have offered to him. And we share the famous example of Sriman Mahaprabhu hmm, tasting Jagannath saliva in, in Jagannath Puri when honoring hmm, Jagannath Prasad. So the main point here is, we are not so much interested in ourselves being the center of the experience and how does this taste to me, but how this has tasted for Bhagavan and how can I serve that experience. Hmm? Of course, prasad, again, as we mentioned, doesn't only limit to sacred foodstuff. We can extend the idea of clothes wearing the remnants of the Vaishnavas that has been offering to Bhagavan, so many forms of grace. But in connection to prasad as sacred foodstuffs, we also mentioned that there are degrees of prasad, there are levels of states of consciousness that will um, make different, make for different types of prasad. Four main considerations we shared in that connection, the state of consciousness that the one who is cooking will has, the one who is offering, the one who is serving, and the one who is receiving, honoring Prasad. So if all this is in place, we can speak about the full range, full fledged experience of Prasad Sevaya. So we also expanded on a little bit on these four, especially concentrating on the importance of Honoring all these stages in a very, as a very sacred practice, for example, serving prasad, this is not something ordinary, again, serving prasad means giving the, Krishna's grace, extending the mercy of Bhagavan to others. So, generally, the idea is that will be doing that, we can give Bhagavan's grace to ourselves, at least that's the gist of the idea. Of course, in practical terms, we may have to serve prasad to ourselves because there's no one else, but you have to get the, the idea behind that. Again, not get neurotic with their do's and don'ts in in an external sense, but try to get to the mood and to the bhava behind that. Mm -hmm. So how to avoid mm, aparad uh, regarding prasad, that's important, how to address this sacred principle from, again, a dedicated dedicated spirit.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Then we share some more practical tips in connection to prasad regarding cooking, Cleaningness in the kitchen, how to consider the kitchen as non different from the altar, Shirada's place, official place where she is so dedicated for Krishna's pleasure, how to be clean ourselves, how to clean while we are cooking, different prayers that we can offer before honoring Prasad, trying to further invoke this sacred uh, perspective on what we are about to do, mm-hmm. trying to not abuse the principle of mercy in the form of prasad, not eating more than required, not using prasad for the satisfaction of our tongue or belly, but mostly for honoring as a divine descent, trying to properly clean everything, as we mentioned, pots, plates, tables, trying to, again, all this has to do with, in one sense, we may say sattva, but sattva, again, is something that will foster properly by properly embraced the principle of transcendence ideally we should not leave remnants we should eat everything that we receive and not ask more than we can honor but we can accept the remnants of the Vaishnav that's an important point we speak about prasad or sometimes it's called maha prasad great grace but when we speak about the remnants of, of, of Vaishnavs we will call it maha maha prasad great great grace when that comes from a specially exalted practitioners we will do our best to try to honor that. We spoke about that, these three substances, very powerful. The dust from the feet of the Vaishnav, the water that has washed the feet of the Vaishnavs, and the remnants of the footstuff. Mm-hmm. Also, we share some order of serving preparations according more to cultural and, and, and specific geographical sensibilities. The Shakalapatra, again, this is not something to absolutize, if you will, but just a detail to consider. The idea of offering Krishna that what he likes the most or at least to begin with what we like the most so we can connect our own taste with Krishna's taste, make him part of the plan and eventually become more and more concerned with Krishna's own taste which ultimately beyond particular preparations, his diet is based on bhakti, as we mentioned. Mm -hmm. We share some ideas also on the principle of dairy products, ahimsa dairy products, veganism and how to try to conceive that from the Gaudiya perspective. Also, we spoke a little bit about the kadasi hmm, to how to understand the kadasi from different levels of conception, upavas. Hmm, day for getting closer, residing near, closer to our Istedev. Hmm. And we finished our lecture by sharing also one nice story from Brindavan from Sri Dakasa Maharaj when his dog died and he organized this Tirubab Mahotsav and all the Brajabasi dogs. Came there a very special experience in the context of honoring prasad. So we see the potential of how a moment like honoring prasad can become such a portal, if you will, to transcendence. So that said, today we will finish our series, as it mentioned, with some different miscellaneous, various topics that somehow or other some of them were asked by private message. Most of them I already had in mind. So, this may not be so conceptual in one specific line, as I mentioned, but we will touch here and there, of course, trying to connect and see everything in the greater picture of Vaishnava etiquette, Mariyat, proper behavior, which ornaments the the life of the Sadaka. So, again, all this does not fit fully in the daily schedule we have been sharing, but still are quite interesting and important. So, let me share, begin with... Sharing some idea, ideas regarding the concept of Dham, Aparat or actually Dham, how to reside in the Dham. When we visit the Dham, for us Gaudhiyas, we have different places. Dham means, in this case, the personal realm of Bhagavan, that for us Gaudhiyas, we will mainly speak in terms of Vrindavan Dham, Navadvip Dham, Daganat Puri Dham. These are the three main realms, if you will, in connection to our particular tradition, And also there is a list of things to avoid while being there, and of course indirectly again implying what to do being there. So that's an important part of our practice, an interesting experience, going to visit the Dam Parikram in the context of the company of Sadhus and so on. Of course, in brief, the important thing when visiting Dam, the the most essential thing, in the same way that when worshipping Sri and so on, will be trying to approach the experience through the lens of Bhakti, and that means through the lens of Bhakta, to the lens of the love that the sadhus have in their hearts, and through that we can really enter access to dam. Mm-hmm. I remember once I asked my Guru some years ago, Guru Maharaj, do you plan to go to, to Brindavan soon? Because last time he went there was 2007, so he told me, I am quite engaged now in trying to establish the dam, outside the dam, <laughs> something like this to develop certain embassies where the the, the very essence of the dam is being perceived along different communities. So really appreciated the idea. As we know, when Prabhupada went out of (coughs) Vrindavan, some people were asking him why he was going out of Vrindavan, and those who were asking him were not living actually in Vrindavan. They didn't realize he was expanding the dam. So that said, of course, at the same time, it's nonetheless a very nice experience to visit the dam, properly speaking. But of course, taking the hands of the sadhus, who are the Tirtha, the sacred spot personified. And this is stated in many places, famous words, for example, in the Bhagavad where it is saying, Bhagavat, Bhavad Vida, Bhagavatas, Tirta Bhutta, Sayam, Vibhu, Tirti, Tirthani, Santas, Ti, So the judiciary is speaking to Vidura, when Vidura is saying, I'm going on pilgrimage. So judiciary chuckles and says, Vidura, devotees like you, sorry the boat is like your good self he says are barely holy places personified hmm? you carry bhagavan in your heart and because of that you turn all places into places of pilgrimage tirthi kurvanti tirthani you are I swayam you are the very personification of a Tirta. So that's important, because if not, that ma- ma- can be become only tourism or something like that, that we are interested in having the real experience of what's the, the mood of the eternal inhabitants of those dams. So for that, we go through the lens and the hands of Guru Sadhu. Mm-hmm. Also the Bhattana, another famous verse that I would like to share regarding conceptual orientation, say, Yasyatma buddhi kuna petri datuke, subhoma which means, one who identifies his self as the inert body composed of mucus, bile, and air, who assumes his wife and family as per, as are permanently his own, who thinks an earthen image or the land of his birth is worshipable, or who sees a place of pilgrimage as merely the water there but who never identifies himself with, feels kinship with, worships or even visits those who are wise in spiritual wisdom, such a person is no better, no better than a cow or an ass. Mm-hmm. So this is a famous verse from 10th Kant of the Bhagavatam. when speaking. Someone who identifies with his body, try to fall apart, the and then he says, but who never identifies hmm, with, with the sadhus or that person who assumes his wives and family are their own, but never feels kinship with the sadhus, those who think an earthen image or the land of his birth is worshipable, but they are not worshiping the sadhus, Mm -hmm. or those who go to see a place of pilgrimage as the water, but do not even visit Mm -hmm. the sadhus in those places of pilgrimage, Bhagatón says, (laughs) they are no better than Kau Ananas. So the important thing if we go to the dam through the hand of the sadhu to visit the sadhus there, not just to, to travel and visit places basically and take pictures if you will. But of course, that say there are a list, famous list of ten dam operats, don'ts, in, in, in the context of visiting Sri Dam. So I will share them briefly and we will continue with other topics. Hmm. Um, but you we will see how all these are quite connected, or some of them to this principle that I have just said the very the very first one says to dismiss or to lack respect in connection to Sri Guru who is the one who reveals the holy dam to us so that's what I have been saying now <clears throat> to not properly honor the principle of the sadhu through which we can really enter the dam second is to think that Sri dam is temporary which is just geographical place in this world which actually refers Actually, represents the dam represents an eternal destiny. It's our eternal destiny manifesting on earth in the form of Vrindavan, now mainly in this case. Another apparat in the dam, <coughs> <coughs> sorry, another apparat connected to Sri dam is to engage in violence to the different residents of the dam or with some pilgrims that were maybe in the dam, be, there, be it human, animal or to consider them as ordinary people, someone is living in the dam, was born in the dam, has the fortune to reside there, somehow or other, that's important to appreciate. And even if we find something that may not fit too much between our ears, we may take some respectful distance, but we shall still honor those personalities. Another apparatus the fourth one, is to engage in mundane activities while residing in Sri Dham. If, if you go to the Dham, is of course, to try to absorb yourself in Bhakti, in Sadhana.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, if knowing that you still continue with mundane actions, that will be aparad. <clears throat> Another aparad will be to make a business with the worship of the Deity, or with the chanting of Sri in the context of the Dham, and outside of the Dham as well. Because it's connected with the principle of Sri Dam. The sixth offense is to think that Sri Dam belongs to a country or to a particular state or province, like Bengal or Uttar Pradesh or whatever, or think like the Dam of Bhagavan is similar to any other holy place related to some Deva, or also it is offense is trying to measure the Dam. Even though we may hear this is eighty-four crosses and this kind of miles and kilometers, but actually it is, strictly speaking the dam is composed of Chinmai dam. No. Chinmai. Transcendental substance. It although appears measurable to our eyes. We should understand it's beyond that. Another offense is to engage in sinful activities while staying in dam, in Sridam, which is similar to engage in mundane activities. There may be some degrees of how adharmic may be that behavior Mm. another offense interestingly is to consider that Vrindavan and Navadvip are different Mm. that's an important interesting point in our particular tradition Mm. that to consider that uh, Vrindavan and Navadvip are different basically means you have to understand how these two destinies Mm. correspond with a particular equal goal that it expresses, of course, in two bhabs, as we know, Madhurya, intimacy, sweetness, afrash, and Odarya, Nadia, but basically as Krishna and Krishna, as we spoke yesterday are known different they have particular different moods, but at the same time we are speaking about the same reality, an extension, one reality of the other. So, it's important to as, as 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 my guru said yesterday, one can speak about that in theory, understand Mahaprabhu is Krishna, but to really get to that insight and feel how Mahaprabhu is non-different from Krishna himself, but Krishna in a special moment, and extend that idea to their dams, because one thing goes hand by hand with the other, that may require some some epiphany, some practice, but it's important to get to those points. The ninth Dhamma paradis is to blaspheme, to criticize against the, the Shastras which glorifies Sri Dham. All different scriptures that sing the glorious praise, all the attributes transcendence of the Dham. It's important to properly honor them. Through them we get to access Sri Dham in a very special way. And the last Dhamma not have to not have faith and to think that the glories of Sri Dham are imaginary. So many of them are connected to Dhamma Parat. But in this case applied to to Sri Dham. Which are it's all all all, all this goes hand by hand, Nam, Dham and so on. Mm-hmm. So some words, of course, we can speak much more in detail about the experience of visiting the Dham and how to behave and details, but generally speaking that's the main things to consider for those who plan to go on Parikram pilgrimage. Let me go to another topic. We will be switching to different Ideas today. So similarly, as what we spoke last class on prashad, as 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 a, as an extension of Bhagavan's mercy, also some brief words regarding Lakshmi. What we call Lakshmi, which sometimes call money, which is a shakti of Bhagavan. We call Lakshmi because Lakshmi is a shakti of Narayan, or we can say Lakshmi is the name originally for Radha, the original Lakshmi. So she's. Purna Shakti, Adi Shakti of Sri Krishna. So how to deal with that Lakshmi administration, if you will. (laughs) Uh, Lakshmi is called Chanchala, interestingly, in the scripture. Chanchala means like restless, who does not stay too much in any place. So Lakshmi means, with exception in the case of Lakshmi Devi by Kuntha, she's fixed on Narayan, Narayan's feet, serving, massaging Narayan's feet. But apart from that, she's not fixed anywhere else. So the point is, regarding money, what we consider money, that will, won't stay too long in any sw- anyone's pocket. It will be here today, gone tomorrow, and maybe making full circle, coming back again to you and get going there. And generally, money in this world is a big problem, especially for those who want to keep it. <laughs> but it's a problem in every single stage, generally. How to get the money, how to keep the money, how to spend the money properly so every all, all of these stages generally create some some sense of anxiety and it's important to know how to deal with that because it's a shakti it's a powerful thing as we know in the bhagavatam when we what we call the four regulative principles and we will speak a little bit about that later uh, has to do with the to avoiding the four places of residence of kali as we know in the bhagavatam this idea is there the personification of kali as parikshit places to reside and he said there will, will be Gambling and killing of animals and intoxication, illicit sex, that's, those are your places. Any other place, hmm, he says, and said, that place where there's excessive accumulation of money, of gold, he will say. We can extend that to money. Hmm. So it's important, this point, that, that's the idea of if you are not dealing properly with money, that can become an embassy hmm. of Kali, basically. So knowing how to deal with money is an important point for us as Godias. It's not just, it's part of our Jukta Bairagya, of course, with proper attitude. And there is a famous story, once Sri Siddhar Maharaj was given Harikata, very deep Harikata, absorbed in that and the, all the devotees were there. I think my Guru Maharaj was there as well. They were here in Srila Siddhar Maharaj, really absorbed and in a particular mood, as you may imagine. And suddenly, one brahmachari from the mat, uh, like, kind of interrupts for a minute Srila Maharaj and says something to him. And Srila like, <clears throat> takes one little box in his bag, something like that, and takes some rupees, some money from that, and gives that to the brahmachari. And the brahmachari goes. So the devotees were, like, kind of asked Sira Maharaj, but, Guru Maharaj, I mean, you are, you were, why... Why you are doing the treasury work here? I mean, someone else can do that. You are the chari of the mission, and you are giving a lecture, and you have to be interrupted by one devotee who is asking you some money. And Chidambara said, "No, no, no. This administration is a highest service." He said, "This is a personal service of Sri Rada. She is administrating everything in Brindavan for the service of Krishna. So not everyone can do that. That's a very high service. And again, Sri Rada is the original Lakshmi." So it's rendering service to her, knowing how to properly manage and spend money. So it's an interesting conception, again, because generally we can see that as very ordinary stuff. Mm -hmm. So the point is, we should be very careful that everything that is energy of Krishna, which basically is everything, (laughs) is properly engaged, properly used. At least those things that come in our path. Mm And of course, a good way of doing that is using that money. If you have some money, of course, you can. You have to sustain your life. And hopefully, if you use the money to sustain your life, you are sustaining your life in the context of bhakti. Because what's the purpose of sustaining your life without that, according to our tradition, basically? I mean, it's just to maintain the body, to survive. That's not the goal of life. And if you have some uh, extra money, if you will, that's important also, important, interesting point that to to know how to invest that in the proper direction, for example, use part of our income to support hmm, the guru, guru's mission. Again, as we always say, it's not that God needs your money, but we need to give God our money because we are attached generally to our pocket. And the story I shared once: someone asked one devotee, "Are you interested in my heart or in my money?" And the devotee said, "Both of them, because your heart is in your in your pocket." Huh? So he said, "Are you interested in my heart or in my pocket?" Sorry. So he said, "In both." I mean, mainly in your heart, but since your heart is in your pocket, I'm interested in your pocket. <laughs> so by giving our pocket means we are giving part of our heart. If we are doing that properly, this is not a forced action. Nobody will force in us in that direction, but it should be a natural conclusion. And it means the result of certain work, certain energy, where we invested ourselves, lots of identification is there in that direction. So if we are identified with the service of Sri Guru, naturally, that part of our identity very happily will will go in that direction, and of course that will Krishna will make all arrangements for us to sustain ourselves. That's a famous example of of Professor Sanyal. I think I shared that the disciple of Prabhupada, Bhaktisiddhanta, he will he was grihastha and when he received his monthly income, he went and gave everything to Prabhupada, Bhaktisiddhanta, everything, he went empty pocket to his house and Prabhupada will divide that and, and send back some money to <laughs> Professor Sanyal for him to survive because if not he will give everything to Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta so these are nice examples to, to conceive how to deal with this mm-hmm. and for example if I'm giving, I'm speaking, if we are giving a dakshina for example what we call a donation or some monthly collaboration for Sri Guru's projects, or for the Guru Seva, or his travels of the printing of the book, the sustaining of the temple, so many things. The consciousness behind that is not, I'm giving something mine. And, and the one who is receiving the I will be, I'm not receiving something for me. You follow? It's, this is not to be done from a separate sense of existence. Actually, ideally, at least ideally, and I know this is not easy, and with money, so many problems, Maybe they're even in spiritual societies, but we should know how to deal with that. The ideal is both parties, the one who is giving and the one who is receiving, both will feel we are sevakas. We are just exchanging energy, which is destined to the service of our lords, our Prabhus. By giving, I'm serving my Prabhu. By receiving, I'm serving my Prabhu, my master, basically. That's that's the point. It's not that I'm giving from my... Things separate to you and I'm receiving for me, that is fostering uh, false ego, basically, separate sense of self. And in that connection it comes to mind, uh, this idea that I was invited to speak a little bit about that also, of Srila Sidamarov, that I, I, li- I liked a lot, uh, there's a, li- a brief ex- excerpt of, w- of one lecture of him, it is called Beyond Gratitude, it's one of my favorites, you can find that in The Harmonist. And he speaks there how he doesn't like too much the word "thank you," <laughs> and you will find that not only in Srilacitar Maharaj, also in one level of my Guru Maharaj, in another Sadhus in India, especially they won't use too much the expression "thank you," and it's important to understand why. I mean, I'm not promoting being ungrateful, but Srilacitar Maharaj once said, "Both say thank you, thank you, Gurumaharaj," and he said, "I don't like this word very much because to thank means to, exp- I mean." He says, to to thank means to express gratefulness. So he says then it presupposes like Dana, Dana means gift. This idea presupposes that one is an owner or proprietor of something. And taking presupposes the existence of a second party. I have something and I and you are taking that, thanking what you are giving to me. So we are a second party. Silas se Yamaras supposes like this. I'm not I'm a separate party. I have got something, and in return, I express my gratefulness and Sula Se will say, But are you a separate party? I mean, actually, we are all one party. we all begun be, belong sorry to the party of mahaprabhu Gore paribar so in that sense we have, we have to get the gist of that again. Do not go neurotic if you say thank you to someone, <laughs> but it's a very fine point, which is very interesting, of course. On top of being ungrateful, we have to be grateful, but on top of that, we have this conception that there are no separate parties. Thank you, and other expressions of gratitude. In this sense, Celeste will say, do not make a good impression in my heart, he says. So, again, the point is not be careful with being ungrateful in the, nam- in the name of going beyond gratitude, because that can happen also. Now, I'm just beyond gratitude, I do not say thank you to anyone, but you also do not have the notion we are the same party, so... <laughs> So if it's important to be gra- being gratitude, grateful. Sorry, but that in the context of an understanding, there is something beyond that, where all of us belong to the same thing, and we are so intimately connected that we don't find a separate sense of giving, receiving. The concept pran pranaya prana is very much in that line. Pranaya means me, I, and my friend and my love are so much together in love, so much one in the ideal. You and I, as my gurmas will say, have become we. So there's not separate sense of existence. So in that sense, the thank you is basically creating some unnecessary distance there. So that's a nice way to to also a- a- appreciate this conception in the context of receiving a donation or, or whatever, whatever interaction. But again, not to abuse the the idea. No? What else? Some words regarding also regulate principles in connection to all the things that we have been speaking about money and keeping money and blah, blah, blah. Of course, again, I'm being brief on this. Each one of these points deserves a separate uh, addressing, a separate lecture. But some words, we have already shared some words, but we will share some brief ones. Regulative, the famous regulatory principle sometimes that Silla Prabhupada established when he was given initiation, which are taken again from this section of the Bhagavatam that I mentioned, which has mainly, mostly to do with human life, becoming humans, stop being animals, if you will, getting closer to a satvic lifestyle. There are pillars of dharma in the Bhagavad, So you have to do with dharma, not necessarily with bhakti. I mean, you can follow all of them and, not, and be an atheistic person, basically. You can be vegetarian, you can be, <laughs> do not take any intoxication, do not go to the casino etc. Also, it's important to know that Prabhupada established that and, and his disciples, most of them follow that, but not necessarily every Acharya will ask those four principles when giving Harinam or Diksha. So we should not all, also not over-absolutize them, because I've seen that. Devotees go neurotic because they are having difficulty in following one principle and thinking, I cannot be a devotee in this lifetime because I have some problems with smoking pot or whatever. And of course, this is not to make that Cheap, ah oh, no problem. You can smoke pot, you can still be a devotee. I mean you can still be a devotee, but not <laughs> taking that as an excuse and I continue doing so many other things. So bhakti is more powerful than any other thing, but that bhappa and so on. So we have to have faith in bhakti and whatever problem we have gradually will be accommodated. Hmm. But again, beyond these four regulative principles, we could also speak, as sometimes they say the four Regulative principles, not so much of human life but of bhakti, which Mahaprabhu gives in the third verse of Sikshasakam. Mm? These are other four pillars for our chanting of Srinam. Mm? So we have these two. Regarding the four regulative principles that Sila Prabhupada mainly established based on the Bhagavad, they are not so much about don'ts but do's. It's not so much about do not intoxicate, do not eat meat, but be merciful, be clean, be pure, and be austere. Those are these four positive values. And again, by, all, by engaging in those practices, not eating meat and so on, it's not that by only doing that I'm fully merciful. That's the point. I'm not merciful only by not eating meat. I can be a fanatical vegan and, and not be too merciful to human beings. That happens a lot. <laughs> Or whatever any other principle so we have to get the gist of this is we have to culture these values austerity purity uh, compassion uh, and truthfulness in the positive sense understanding this is also a Dharmic setting sattvic setting that will make the whole stage much more uh, favorable for Im- imbibing mm. bhakti scars. they are not bhakti in themselves of course if we accept trying to follow them in the context of serving Sri Guru, that's another thing. But again, all these practices should be taken in a sustainable way. One of the classical ones is no illicit sex. So what's illicit sex? Of course, there are so many standards, and Sila Prabhupada has said so many different things to his disciples. For example, only having sex for procreation, uh, having only sex with your wife, having only sex uh, twice a month or whatever, having asking permission to your Guru before having intercourse <laughs> so you can imagine there is some relativity to that so the general idea is try to if you have a couple to, to do to engage in that activity in a committed way in that couple in the context of that couple not with many people at the same time and something like that it's in the context of a committed relationship and also understanding the need that gradually transcending that type of activities as well because mostly most of them have to do with still identifying ourselves as the body and trying to derive some pleasure for that. Of course, eating and sleeping could be also termed in that connection. So that's why as much as we advance, we will be naturally uh, less and less attracted to that. But again, that has to be done in a sustainable way, according to our particular situation. Mm-hmm. Because if not, we, we may engage in repression. And as we know, Krishna says in the Gita, repression does not work. <laughs> Repressed desire... Actually, if you repress your desire, it will come in a redoubled force later, in, or in some perverted manner as well. So that, that can happen. And, and Krishna in the Gita, or in the Bhagavatam also even, in the 11th country, say, he allowed sen- sense pleasure that is not forbidden. Again, in a certain particular context. Krishna in the Gita say, I'm and the sexual relationship, which is not against the principles of religion. So there is there is a place for that. Dharma, Artha, kama. But moksha and prem pancham purushartha. <laughs> of course there are some days in the concept of sexual interaction that are ideally to be avoided if, if, if the ladies during her menstrual period or in a kadasi in Purnim, ideally some holidays like we were having yes these days. And again, the point is, desire for sex arises mainly because of our innate desire for existence Mm -hmm. as individuals and as community by identifying ourselves with the body, mind complex. And we have fear and we desire to stay alive. But as we identify as eternal servants of Sri Guru, those desires will gradually dissipate. But again, it has to be a natural thing that will come as a byproduct of our positive devotional culture. And the same with this other principle. For example, truthfulness actually means no, do not be a hypocrite. It's not just not, do not go to the casino. Do not cheat. Do not cheat others, do not cheat yourself. Be satam. Be truthful. Be a sadhu basically. Non-intoxication, as we spoke the other day, you can speak about gossip. That's a form of intoxication. Mm-hmm. Overdose of social media. Intoxication is not only limited mm, to, to a particular type of activity. So, how to properly use social media? I remember once Gurunista made one, one comic that was the guru was giving Harinam, or initiation to the disciple. I was repeating the, sure that you have to pronounce it regulative principle, and then said, "And no Facebook," and the and the face of the disciple was like going mad, I'm like no 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 please, reject my initiation immediately. <laughs> you are asking too much, like implying this idea. You know, we should consider the natural. Extended expression and implication of this concept of four regulatory principle to whatever is of consequence in our nowadays dynamics, so some ideas regarding four regulatory principles and how we can be they can be misrepresented misinterpreted, and also inter- I will like to share briefly some ideas that in the same way that we can misinterpret four regulatory principle, there are some terms. Sanskrit terms, devotional terms on a daily basis that we may use wrongly. So I think it's, again, not to go extremely technical and Krishna, this Bhavya grahi, Janardana takes the, <laughs> the essence of our mood, attitude. But if you have proper attitude, you will want to do things nicely and properly as well. So, for example, some terms that sometimes we may, in our internal ruminating of that term, may be distorted. For example, the term Sankirtan. Sankirtan, of course, technically speaking, as we spoke, already refers to the congregational chanting of Sri Hari's name. And that means not only quantity, but quality. And sometimes, of course, in time, after Prabhupada, even Prabhupada himself didn't speak about Sankirtan in terms of book distribution. He will say book distribution, but at one point that came to be known as Sankirtan. Following the concept of Prabhupada, Bhaktisiddhanta, and the printing press, uh, Brihadmridanga, and Kirtan, and Harika is a form of Kirtan and distribution of the books is Kirtan and Sankirtan. It's okay. I, I mean, I don't have a problem with that. As much as we do not forget what's the, if you will, original meaning. Because if not in time, the idea may get more and more diluted. I've seen devotees speaking in terms, okay, book distribution is Sankirtan. Or sometimes they start to dilute that more, like collecting money is Sankirtan. Uh, yes, if you have the proper attitude, that will be Sankirtan as we spoke about Lakshmi. But sometimes I've heard is asking, how was your Sankirtan today? And the other will say, $30. <laughs> so my point is, sometimes the danger is there. We can just limit the concept to what we have in the pocket. And, and Sankirtan has so many implications and considerations there. So that's my point when it's mentioning such term. Or sometimes also we say, we go out for Harinam. But strictly speaking, to go to chant out in the streets, that sometimes that's called harinam. Actually, it's called nagar sankirtan, nagar sankirtan, which means congregational chanting in the streets. Because harinam is basically the name of Hari. So if I go, I go for harinam it means I go for the name of Hari. And yes, that's a fact. <laughs> but the, the technical explanation is nagar sankirtan, because harinam is the name of Hari. That is. Well, sometimes devotees speak about first initiation or second initiation. Actually, the technical term is harinam, and then diksha, which is initiation proper. What else? We also share sometimes devotees thinking in terms black and white terms. That's an important thing not to all limit your expression of people as karmi and asura, for example, and devotee. No. <laughs> they are saintly. They are devotees. Now they are initiated. They are devotees. Before yesterday. They were karmis, asuras. No, they are gray between black and white. Or the term bhaktā. Sometimes bhaktā has to be used for those newcomers who are just visiting the temple the first time or the first weeks or years or are not yet initiated. A newcomer. And, and after being initiated, you feel, oh, now I'm a devotee. Before I was a bhaktā. But actually, the word bhaktā means devotee. Mahāprabhu is bhaktā avatār. The word bhaktā is all, all over Chaitanya Charitamrita, referring to great devotees so to be a bhakta is not a little thing that's an important point as I, as I mentioned so bhakta is not referring to newcomer bhakta means someone who has bhakti what else the bag when we have the the japa beats, it's called malika so it's so when we say i give me the japa actually japa refers to the chanting to the type of chanting not to the mala itself to the to the to the garland of beads, that's called malika. The 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 bead, the mal japa mala and malika is the bead bag. But japa means the type of chanting, not the rosary in itself. Because sometimes the Buddhists have to say, give me the, give me my japa, but japa refers to the chanting, not to the to the garland in itself, if you will. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the Buddhists also have spoken in terms of kirtan and bhajan, like kirtan being jumping and rolling on the floor and jumping in the air, and bhajan is just sitting there and chanting basically seated quietly but actually <clears throat> in one sense both are kirtan now, if you're singing seated that's kirtan also that doesn't mean you have to be jumping or dancing you can be sit quietly and singing and that's a form of kirtan and bhajan sometimes is connected to a quiet chanting but ultimately bhajan refers to what we sometimes say your life of bhajan how is your bhajan doing how is your devotional worship? worship we found this term in the famous uh, stages of bhakti, bhajana kriya, which means devotional activities, basically. So bhajana. And since we say bhajan, it's also important to conceive anarta the next stage that is mentioned. Anarta in itself is not a practice. It's not that I will engage in anarta nivrithi. is not a process which is cleaning of an artist, but it's the result of engaging in bhajana kriya. It's a byproduct of bhajana kriya. So it's important to get attached to this positive conception. Mm. I, do, I engage in devotional practice and the result of that will be cleansing of the heart on one level. Mm. Some other idea, and there are many more. I'm just mentioning some that come to mind. To do sadhana, sometimes devotees understand the idea of sadhana just like waking up in the morning and assisting the morning program, something like that. And then I'll do service. I already did my sadhana. Now comes the service, as, as if the two terms will be different. But actually, ideally, whatever I'm doing from morning to night is sadhana. It's part of my life of practice, and service will be another way of translating that seva. Of course, sometimes we may see practical services and, and other things, but basically, we are referring to the same thing. And something else that I think Dual Chandra spoke recently about that is that. A devotee who studies, who has some intellectual affinity capacity and tries to engage that in the context of shravan and hearing Shastra, studying Shastra, that person is not a jnani. Sometimes I've heard that. Oh, he's a jnani. Actually, he's not a jnani. You are an I <laughs> by saying that. If a devotee in the proper sense is, is trying to engage his, her intellect in, in the study of Shastra, that's not jnani. That's bhakti. Mm. That's bhakti. Actually, to, to read shastram means shravan. It's a form of, to, to connect, to hear printed sounds. To engage in shravan is swarupsida bhakti, one of the main angas of bhakti. So why, why to call a person a jnani? So, again, these are terms, but sometimes they may take us to misunderstand some important points, and so on. So, again, the list is long, but I will prefer to stop this particular list here. I have some few topics <clears throat> that I would like to share with you tomorrow, if possible. Maybe I may extend some few minutes today, with your permission. Also, on another uh, point, some words about Tulesi, Tulesi Seva, mm, which is, as we know, Tulesi Devi, Brinda Devi, originally in Brindavan, appearing as a dutika, as a messenger, as a gopi who is engaged of making all the arrangements and preparing all the settings for the lila of Radha and Krishna really considered very in connection to the Bhakti-Shakti principle, uh, who appears by Kunthan in this world as well as Tulsi, mm, as a sacred basil plant that daily we worship as Gaudiya Vaishnava, whether in its form as a plant, as a picture. Mm. So in case you have a Tulsi plant at home, again, this takes this may be made in a whole separate seminar, but ideally Tulsi plant, if you have it closer to the altar, it should be on the left side of the altar. Which will be our right side if we are looking at the altar. Mm-hmm. And there are different, of course, uh, mantras that we may recite to according to how we are approaching Tulsi and serving her. For example, of course, when we offer pranam to her, we will recite famous verse Tulasi Devi Priya Krishna Bhakti Pradidevi namo When we offer Pranam over and over again to Srimati Tulusi Devi, also known as Brinda or also Satyabhati, who is very dear to Sri Hari, and who bestows Bhakti, Krishna Bhakti. Regarding taking some of the leaves of Tulsi, with the intention of using them in the service of Bhagavan for the offerings, that's idea, of course, we shouldn't be taking leaves of Tulsi without, without any other motive. And for taking those leaves or manjaris from Tulsi, ideally one should be first, uh, bathe it and, uh, and ask permission to Sri Mata Maharani, and be very careful in not creating ex- unnecessary harm by doing that service. Mm. So the the, the 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 leaves and the mangroes should be taken one after the other, not many at the same time, but in a very meditative state with the le- with the right hand, very carefully, and with your left hand, ideally you are sustaining the respective branch, so you are not not breaking the whole thing when trying to take one leaf. Mm. Ideally you shouldn't be using using like a knife or scissors to cut the leaves. Uh, ideally you should be barefoot. Again, you are dealing with a, a deity basically.
1: Mm.
0: Also, it is said that uh, it's not for it's not allowed to take Tulsi leaves on Duodacy, mm. or ideally as as, as the sun has not go off out. Mm. And even if the Tulsi leaves have dried, mm. that happens. Or have been picked from previous days, all of them can be still be can be used in worshipped and offerings and so on. Mm -hmm. There are some other mantras uh, that can be recited, of course, while taking different leaves or tulasi, or after finishing the taking the leaves, well, or or by or some mantras for begging forgiveness to tulasi for any possible. offense one may have committed or, or there are also some mantras that one can recite when bathing tulasi, when watering it. I won't be sharing all of them here now, it's maybe too much, but if someone is interesting, interested in that, you can send me some private message and I can share them with you. Mm-hmm. And tulasi also something to, to know because sometimes devotees get neurotic when tulasi is passing away, if you will, leaving the body. We should know that generally tulasi is a yearly plant. So generally in the winter, most of them die to be realistic and hardly any plant survives there are some exceptions of course but uh, we will try it our best in that direction but again we in, in that case one have to plant it again and it's not like like a tree very rarely does it survive two years so it's not a fence to see pass away because you can start to get overtly paranoid in that direction as well oh she must have died because of something i did I mean, if you really did something, okay, you may connect that and learn the lesson and continue, but not to unnecessary neurosis there. Mm-hmm. And when tulsi dies, quote-unquote dies, what, what should, sometimes we may ask, what shall we do with her? And generally say so you can put tulsi on the water, or in a river, or in a lake, or sometimes you, we can use the, uh, the the wood for making beads, as we have our beads made for tulsi. Also, sometimes the question is, is, do we take Ayurvedic medicines that contain Tulasi? That can happen. There are some of them. So, ideally, better to avoid them, unless there is no other alternative for sure. I mean, we have to remain practical, but as much as we can avoid, we will avoid that. So, some considerations on, tul- on practical consideration on Tulasi tatwa, basically. So, let me close today's uh, meeting. Before reaching making some brief conclusion with one more topic that somehow or other I mentioned that briefly on our, I think, second lecture when we spoke about Vaishnav culture. But I would like to share some brief words on Vaishnav dress, which, again, was something implied in our class on Vedic culture. And as we always have said, you know, for sure we may adjust our clothes due to relative circumstance or due to personal taste in this life and identification with a particular uh, strength, fashion <laughs> and, and, and time of the, of, the, of, the of, of, of world history but the point is we should also at the same time be careful as Gaudiya Vaishnavs not to reach the point to say clothing is totally relative and therefore it doesn't matter if you don't use any type of devotional clothes it's just a relative issue it's not essential to our practice that's not the fact. Actually, clothes can be an udipana also. can be a an stimulant for our practice. Mm-hmm. We mentioned in our second class that in the Nitya Lila, both in Braj and in Nadia, there is a particular culture. In both Lilas, they follow Vedic culture. So it's even though we may on one level say Vedic culture is relative, above Vedic Barna Ashram, we have Prem Bhakti. Yes, but when you reach the converging point of the Lila, you see that in the realm of Lila, Barn ashram is part of the social system there. In the context of the lila, it plays itself out in that context. So there are cultural sensibilities that will be part of our eternal life in both lilas. And there, there is a certain clothing. And that's why, therefore, as sadhakas, there is some devotional clothing that is recommended that will be connected with the clothing that we'll be using in the lila. So in that sense, that may become an udipana. So in following that criteria, we could say, Whatever, dhoti or whatever devotional clothes we are using, gopi dress, in one sense that fall is spiritual because you will be using that eternally in your spiritual body. <laughs> Bhagavan himself is wearing that. And we have to remember we are part of Raganuga, Ragamarg. Raganuga bhakti, what does it mean, Raganuga? Raganuga means following Ragadmika. Ragadmika means those eternal associates of Bhagavan who are made of Rag. So Raganuga means to follow in the footsteps of those personalities. Mm-hmm. And all these Nitya Siddha, Raghatmikas, they were dhoti. Mm-hmm. Krishna Lila, Gaur Lila, especially we're connecting Gaur Lila with our particular sadhaka experience. So there, my point is, there is a place for that. With this I'm not saying you have to be with Doti every day long, go to the work. And I understand there are circumstances, but we have to develop some taste for that because... You will be using that for eternity. We won't have jeans and baseball caps in Golok Brindal or something like that. We know that Putana was delivered in great part by, by the dress she was having. She was dressing as a Vaishnavi. Of course, again, this is not an excuse I will put the dot and I am already safe. But there is a point for that. Again, Krishna lives eternally in a particular cultural framework, and we are to embrace that eventually if we want to enter there. We remember Uddhav always mentioning, by wearing the clothes of Bhagavan, by dressing with his remnants, uh, by eating his remnants of foodstuff, I will conquer Maya. We, our servants, he speaks in plural, will conquer your Maya. So there's a place for honoring proper devotional clothes that will be first offered to Bhagavan, who, who has been used by other Vaishnavas in the context of Bhakti. So as I mentioned, the, all these paradigmatic figures of Raghavakti are described with certain detail in the scripture. Uh, um, again, they are like the object of our affection. And those descriptions of different associates are empowered and should be employed in, in, in our meditation, in our visualization. It's not that we can replace, I don't know, Krishna herding cows and wearing pitambar, yellow cloth, with Krishna again, wearing jeans and riding a mountain bike. And expect the same result in our practice of meditation. No, no there is a particular way in which the Leela expresses itself, and cloth is part of that. Mm-hmm. This is a very implication of the famous verse of Rupa Goswami when he describes when he said seva Rupina When he says, "Once in your both in your seva Rupa and your Rupa, you are to follow the inhabitants of Raj. So that in part means in your sadaka you dress yourself after the examples of the siddhas in Golok. Nadia, in this case as sadhakas, as they appear in Gorlila. So again, one will also appear there in due course. Uh, and and the things are favorable. For example, I'm not only limiting that discussion to clothes in itself. We can speak about Tilak. We spoke already about Tilak. Tulsi, Kantimala, and so on. And so dress, tilak, tila, tulsi, neck beats. All these actually are considered, among other things, uh, by Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur in his Raghavarma Chandragupta. He considers them bhava anukul, swabista bhava anukul, which means they are favorable items in connection to the desire mood that one is cherishing in the context of Raghavakti. Bhakti Thakur also wrote about that in his Saranagati songs with regard to Anukul, Anukul Yasa Sankalpa, making a firm vow of accepting that which is favorable for bhakti, for Raga Bhakti. He will say, Gaurabhagata Priya Besha, Dadna So you say besha, besha means clothing. So Bhakti, in his own affirmation of what he's accepting as favorable, he says, I will put on the garb that is dear to the devotees of Three Gorsunder, including the twelve vaishnav Tilak markings of my body and beautiful beads of Tulsi wood around my neck. So he's like accepting, taking a bow in that connection. That's included. Besh. Hmm? So it's important to understand this is not some artificial imposition. It should be a natural, irresistible call, hmm? clarion call for us. Now once my Guru Mahesh mentioned that in that regard, you know, this point, he said, Try to enter the feeling of Brindavan Das. And he quotes one verse from Chaitanya Bhagavat. Mm-hmm. Brindavan Das, he says, How wonderful were his two lotus eyes, Mahaprabhu's two lotus eyes, and how wonderful was the way he wore his dhoti. Mm-hmm. So our Guru Maharaj is saying, Try to enter the feeling of Brindavan Das' mood while saying that. Mm-hmm. So, here he speaks trikacha, which means a dhoti that is worn, more put in a particular way. The, the commentary here is that when the left end of the dhoti is taken between the legs and tucked at it and the back, it's called kacha. When the other end is tucked at the navel, it's called kancha, And when the other end of this concha is tucked at the navel, it's then called trikacha.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, my Guru Mahesh, he said that in this connection, my thought is that if you are worshipping Mahaprabhu, I'm feeling like Vrindavan does, that's our goal, not like he is feeling here. Is it, this not a sign of one's love for Mahaprabhu to idealize dressing like him and participating in his lila? So, again, we should learn how to really make these points part of our passion, if you will, part of our prospect. Not just thinking, oh, I have to do this, this is the rule, but... They Are inviting me to a world of Bab. I mean, these daughters will be made of Bab there. <laughs> For example, also in the 12th canto of the Bhagavatam, interestingly, uh, all the clothes clothes and ornaments of Krishna are uh, described as symbolizing something. Even the clothes, the Kaustuba gem, as you know, is all the jivas and different items, ornaments, and clothes of Bhagavan represent something. So, how can we call that? Only a local custom, a temporary custom, without, strictly speaking, engaging in a form of Mayabat. Because you are relativizing the absolute identity of all these items, which are actually personalities. Mm. And, of course, there is some examples sometimes it's given, of when Sanatan Goswami was dressing as a fakir. Mm. And we know that Mahaprabhu, at that point, he asked him, change your clothes <coughs> and dress as a vaisnava. So I think that will be enough, to silence all significant doubts that clothing is not inconsequential. Sanatan appeared as a fakir because he was traveling and had long beard and dress and certain clothes. So Mahaprabhu said, please dress, shave yourself and dress as a Vaishnava. Mm-hmm. So again, clothing is not inconsequential, although of course we don't want to overemphasize it as well to the point that someone may feel discouraged, overwhelmed or whatever. Mm-hmm. But again, there is a place for that. Vansila Prabhupada, some brief words to close this topic, Vansila Prabhupada say that the saffron robes and the shaven head are not essential to balance all this, although, he said, they create a good mental situation. Just, and he gives a good analogy, just as when a military man is dressed properly, he gets energy when he puts the uniform. He will feel himself like a military man. Does that mean that unless... Hmm? he's in uniform, he cannot fight? No, we we know that's not the fact. So in the same way, God-consciousness is not something that can can be checked and limited. It can be expressed in any circumstance, but at the same time Prabhupada says certain conditions are are helpful. And we know that Prabhupada himself preferred that his disciples not only think of Krishna um, as he's described in the text, but also to dress in ways reminiscent, of Gorlila, when possible, as an aid to their culture of Krishna consciousness. But again, of course, when speaking to devotees from the West who felt uncomfortable with such dress, he replied to them in in the broadest of terms. And of course, there were some exceptions. The devotees were dressing with secular clothes, were distributing books in the airports and so on. And sometimes nowadays, of course, we may also have to work on these certain so certain social dynamics in that connection. But again, this is not just Indian culture, as we mentioned in the second class. It has to do with the eternal culture that surrounds the Lila. Mm -hmm. And sometimes devotees may say nowadays, push this idea, no, we have to dress with Western clothes, because if we want to speak to the modern culture in the West, we have to approach them in their own terms. If we look weird for them with Eastern devotional clothes, that won't be good for our dissemination of the message. I mean, on on one level we can say that in certain cases, but also we can say the opposite as well. Mm -hmm. Once I remember my Guru Maharaj mentioned something like that. He said, like, my experiences with dressing is that dressing like a monk actually is attracted to a large portion of the Western public, Mm -hmm. and he himself does on a daily basis. He says, well, it it certainly has not hurt the Dalai Lama's outreach. (laughs) And of course, that can extend to so many others. Because after all, He will say that the progressive West, interestingly, has promoted multiculturalism for decades already. And so there is room in the minds of many for the exotic mm, and honoring, mm, if not seeking to identify, at least uh, in terms of intellectual curiosity, with other cultures. So we live now now in a multicultural world. So everything is part of everything, if you will. And again, there's some relativity to that. You know? An interesting point in this connection, for example, is <clears> at <throat> one particular time, Rupa Goswami, Sanat and Goswami, they became outcasts by being grihastas working for the Muslim government. Yeah, They worked for another government, they were kicked out from the social system. Whereas some centuries after that, Bhaktivinath Thakur had a very respected preaching platform by being a grihasta working for the British government. To follow. So depending on uh, what is unfavorable culturally at one time and place may become favorable culturally at another time and place. So there's lots of relativity to it, so we need to accommodate that and be mature enough to deal with that properly. So again, many more things we could say regarding dress. We share some ideas in, again, our second-class embedded culture. and um, I would like just to close this meeting and this series with some bit of words in conclusion trying to make some full circle regarding what we mentioned in the very beginning, how all these rules, again, the, the subtitle of the series is Rules and Love in the Life of the Sadaka. So this is not some military commandments that we have to follow blindly or cold-hearted way. But this comes from the wish, the desire, as we mentioned in the very first class. I want to please the object of my affection. So whatever is... His, her taste, whatever he considers best for me, I will follow that with that feeling. Not a cold feeling, irrational, blind, nonsensical feeling. Hmm. Vaishnava etiquette, hmm, also called Mariat, as we mentioned, actually includes a long list of rules that we have seen in all these almost 20 meetings, but the rules are there to promote the feeling, as we and as we say, When the feeling is there, sometimes we may even not follow certain rules, not because we don't want, but we can, because the feeling is too overwhelming. And sometimes we follow rules, and those who have followed the rules know are the ones who can break the rules in order to accept a higher rule. (laughs) So these rules are there to promote the feeling. So we are to conceive those rules properly. So hopefully we we, we were able to do that. And hopefully these rules that we have been sharing, these advices I will share, I will say... Made common sense for most of you, uh, and are quite intuitive mm. in, at least in the most part so and by Shnava etiquette again let's bear this in mind it's all about relationships, mm. how to relate properly mm. with personalities with with the sacredness in everything, sacred people, sacred items, and a relationship will be established as we mentioned not only uh with people but with things as well, and we have to learn certain. Some to properly have proper regard to those items, personalities, to perceive the sacredness in them, uh, become expert in those interactions, relationships, mm? proper regard for the sacredness in our daily life, in our process, mm? how to conceive and relate again to sacred places, items, people, learn to appreciate sacredness
1: um,
0: everywhere, basically all around us. <laughs> and this has been a brief if you will, portal into the world of Vaishnava etiquette. This is full of details, and as we mentioned, spiritual life is full of details. It's, a, it's all about details. Details are not necessarily something relative or secondary, but maybe the thing that makes the whole difference. Because we are in the Raga Mark again, and the idea is to, to render Anukul Seva, favorable service, in the context of ragamark. And ragamark is the path of specificity, as we mentioned. It's a very specific path. Very specific goal, very specific type of love, very specific mood and dev everything is very detailed. that's the point. So the whole ragamar, the whole path we belong is full of specificity, so we should be as specific as members of that path. We should pay close attention to detail this, and Raragag again, Nuga is based on love. When I love someone, I naturally want to please that person, and I want to avoid those things that will displease him or her. The concept guru, the sadhu. So that's the main point that will inspire us to follow by shnava etiquette. It's not so much uh, I must, but I want. I feel this. Mm-hmm. So many things have been shared, and we should I think sometimes hear and rehear these points over and over again so they gradually become part of our naturally, again in a natural way, and, and with our own will, positive will there they become part of our life, they become a habit in our life. Remember, first you have the samskar, you receive the impressions, a a certain quantity of impressions become some habit on a daily basis and a certain number of habits put together in time, they create a new identity. Mm. So the idea is that we are in this project of creating a new identity, bhaktaviman, the identity of the sevaka. So the idea is to make this Vaishnava etiquette, this series of lectures, into a lifestyle. This is not just classes, but it has the potential to become a lifestyle. Again, some scars, habits, identity, and that means lifestyle. And that lifestyle will be fully um, embellishing, mm-hmm. decorating our own life as a sadaka. Remember, Mariat, This is shloka from Trittani Charitamita. We will say sadurobushan.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The a sadhu a devotee will be very keen on following Maryat, Vaishnava etiquette. And by doing that, the very following of Vaishnava etiquette is Sadhu Rabushan. It's an ornament of the Sadhu. The Sadhu become beautified. So let's increase our devotional beauty by further embracing Vaishnava etiquette from the proper place, with the proper attitude, and this way embracing rules in the context of developing love in our Sadaka project. So I... Th- at the beginning of the lecture I say I, I won't say thank you. thank you. We have to go beyond gratitude, but I will break the rule for a moment and I want to express my gratitude in one sense to all of you for being part of this series, uh, who follow enthusiastically and tolerated so many months of myself speaking on this. So I have full confidence that you will try to embrace this in the most healthy and dynamic way. And of course whenever whatever doubt, question, something may come on the way in this connection we can always continue hmm, thinking and elaborating on this so my prompt to all and of course if there are any questions we, we may have some some few minutes so let me activate the option to unmute just in case someone may like to share something there it is so I don't know if there are any questions
2: Jaikonuram yeah,
0: here yeah, I can run.
2: Maharaj. you'll forgive my breach of etiquette. Thank you very much for all these nice classes. Um, so, I have a, I have a specific question. I guess I have two questions. Um, so, I got some Kuntimala uh, Radakund clay beads from um, uh, from Prabhu yesterday,
1: hmm.
2: and these clay beads from Radakund. Can you tell me something about them? Is that something that I should wear? Or is that something that I should have a more worshipful attitude about?
0: They are the ones you have put now or there are some you have them with you on another place. They're they're in the house. Ah, okay, okay. So they are beads made of Radhakunda clay. Yes. Wow, I, I never heard about that one. I of course Radakunda is quite famous for having lots of Conti and Japamalas being made there and being dissolved there in the area. But I never heard of... Of course, I know about Tilak, Radacund I uh, have it. But having bits of Radacund moth, I mean, I never heard about that. <laughs> and I, I, I may have to do some research, but I don't think you should wear them because, I mean, they will disappear in, in a few moments because it's it's moth. Oh, so it's like Tilak, in time they will become more and more dismantled. So you can, I mean, have them, I mean, they are with some string in between or something? Yes. Wow, interesting. I don't know if they have some treatment that they can be preserved while you are using them. If that's the case, that's another thing. But but generally, at least in my experience with Radekund Tilak, which again, it may be a different thing. Kanuram is going to look for the beads, it seems. <laughs> yes. Uh, if it's... I
2: want to show you. Yeah,
0: yeah. Give you some dark, Sean. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, if that particular mud has not been treated in a certain way, I think that will really dissolve very soon. So I don't think that's the most becoming thing, just to wear that and after some days it just dis- disappeared. no? But if 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 that's with some treatment... Of course, one can use that for sure. Uh, Alright. Yes. That's Can
2: I say something?
0: In that regard. Yes. I mean, in any regard, you can say anything. But I was waiting for you to <laughs> to share some insight. Yes, please. Go on. Uh,
2: I th- These kind of beads, uh, I have seen. I think I have at home also. Uh, they are. They are. It's not the same kind of. of of clay as for other kundatilak it has been uh, burnt a little bit so it's much harder and they're very black completely black but uh, they do not they do not keep for a very long time so usually what devotees do is they will wear them during uh, uh, japa or maybe during puja or something like that so you you put them on for, for, for some time and then you take them off after that so not to wear them while eating or, or going to the shower or something like that. Okay. There, there's also another thing that devotees sometimes get in Radha Kunda, and that's called a. Uh, I forget the name now, but it's it's a kind of mala with with uh, five different types types five different malas. Maybe it's just called a pancha mala. Five different malas, then bound together in. In cloth from Lord Jagannath,
1: mm-hmm.
2: so it it looks like a, like a, like it's 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 big like thick like this more or less, mm-hmm. and usually orange. Mm-hmm. So that's also something that uh, 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 Babajis especially will will wear while doing doing Japa, and it's it's five different different types of malas uh, inside. So I think this rada Kundamala is, is worn in the same way that while doing Dupbhajana.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So thank you for the contribution, Brigu. I think you have there the answer, Kanuram.
2: Thank you. Thank you both.
0: Now please. Thank you. I think there are, here's, there's one question on the Facebook streaming uh, from Kriporam from Colombia. He's asking when exposing the philosophy, the presenting the philosophy, should we change the term illicit sex? for another concept. Well, you can do so if you want, for sure. I personally will choose to use some other term because or or at least if you use the term, you should explain it because that's a problem sometimes. You may be using a term that it's okay but if you are not making it clear what's the meaning of the term, it may be okay for you but not for others and every single person will have a very different idea of the the, the same single word because what's illicit basically. And especially if you put the word illicit next to the word sex, <laughs> I don't think that will be very popular nowadays for, for the audience. I mean, I wouldn't want to be popular also. I want to just say something that people is happy with us and uh, we just twist the whole philosophy. But I think there are better ways that we may share uh, the, the, the expression. And maybe you don't have to just say everything in one single word or two. As I mentioned, you may say you can have uh, sex in, in a committed relationship, if we will, which, which basically is 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 uh, conveying the gist of, of the same idea that we say, no illicit sex. I personally do not like too much to speak in in negative terms. I mean, I understand the point, for sure, but generally I prefer, again, if I have to speak about the four regulative principles to em- emphasize the positive side to it and the virtues and, and how those virtues are even beyond those specific practices in itself. So yeah, I think it's important as every member of of the Gaudia uh, community in time, every generation, to really make some rethinking about the terms we are being using and how much they will fit in nowadays language. And we don't need to twist the philosophy, but we may need to edit, if you will, (laughs) our expression, not only of illicit sex, but of so many other things that may not sound as they sounded fifty years back because the word changes so quickly and the application of words as well. That's a whole seminar in itself, but yeah, I will I will say something like that. Okay, what else? Any other question? Okay. So I think we... can
2: I ask one more can I ask one question Maharaj
0: uh, yeah for sure uh,
2: you, you spoke about uh, about Lakshmi and and the importance of of, uh, of using Lakshmi in the correct way I was thinking about this this concept of uh, tithing or giving one tenth of one's uh, like netto income mm-hmm. Uh Uh, that is very popular among Christian Mm -hmm. people. Uh, Is this something that you think that could be uh, uh, beneficial for for devotees as well?
0: Yes. I I think so in general terms, of course. Um, And that has been also relatively applied in the context of our My Guru Maharaj's society. I mean, it's not that he's forcing his disciples to tithe, basically, but he's expressing that it will be good for them if they voluntarily <laughs> agree to, to do so with the proper understanding and of course as much as they can do that and they are not starving if you will by doing that which generally is not the case uh, and, and of course again there are so but at the same time while saying that we should be so careful because at least different countries there may be different situations some, some countries some countries, may have more money than others but the principle is I mean, you are receiving certain results, certain income, and there's always something that one can really dedicate in the direction, exclusive directly for the service of guru and Vaishnavs. And we can be a little bit more austere for facil- the content facilitating. Again, not too extreme that we are going mad. So personally, I agree with the idea. I was actually thinking about speaking about that when, when I mentioned the topic. I didn't, but... But yes, in Christianity they have this ten percent. Of course, again, this shouldn't become like a a rule in the sense of cold, forced thing. Where is your ten percent of this month? Where's your other ten percent? But ideally, will be oh, they will have Frodo. Frodo was the name, yeah, I think so. So the idea is, it's not a forced thing, no. That oh, I feel I have to give because if not, what will happen? I won't be see. In nice terms, no. It's something that it has to come from your heart, and if it comes from your heart, even if you really are doing that from the proper side, maybe in time you will feel 10 percent is, is too little. <laughs> Again, I'm not saying with this sending some subliminal message to the Grihastha community here, but my point is, if you really want to give your whole life to Bhagavan, of course. You may be keeping some money and, and leaving a whole dedicated life to your guru and whatever you're spending for you, quote-unquote, it's not for you because it's in your sadaka project, but it's easier said than done also. also. I mean, you can speak, yeah, no, I remain at home with my family and all the money and all the house and everything for the service of Krishna. Easier said than done, to be honest, in practice. So the point is, in that, in that situation, it's, it, it may be good that some part of our income... It goes in that direction and and we try to make efforts and sacrifice and make that nice offering that creates some some satisfaction for sure and, and and we should be sure that there will be nothing lacking for us if we are doing that from the proper side but again i don't i don't intend i don't think that this should be established as a universal rule that everyone has to follow because if not you are not a disciple or you are not the <laughs> And I know many devotees or people have been traumatized with money in previous situations in the context of spirituality and groups asking money from them. I'm thinking, oh, actually, you want my money. You don't want me. And and it's subtle because I can also ask you money for the service of Krishna. But also I have to be properly situated for doing that, because if you are not properly situated, I may be really exploiting you. So both sides have to be properly situated. The one who is asking the money and the one who will give, if, if if that's not there, that won't be healthy and that may create a big part of the trauma that we see. And, and I understand that for some devotees, at their particular traumatic moment in that connection, it may be not the best even to ask them tidying at, of, of 0.1%. <laughs> but eventually, if, if if that type of practice is being done from others in a natural way and the environment is healthy and 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 I feel when I'm giving my money, it's really in, in a safe place, and and I understand it's being properly used. We, everyone will get naturally more and more inspired in that direction, and and again, this is not something about the guru taking the money and having his private bank account in Switzerland and having a parallel life and doing. It's about all that for service. It's not your money, and it's not for me, if you will, no, if you, if you will. But again, easier said than done. Because money is a very powerful energy. So in the name of using it, asking it, many distortions may come in the way. So that's a subtle thing. But in principle, that's a healthy uh, habit. You know? Like in the case of you are a grihasta, you have your money for your house, your family, your quote unquote. But giving that directly to the guru, that part will help to consider the rest of your money also as not yours as your house and your family, as not yours. So that's a healthy thing. If done in a healthy way, that's what I will say. I, I won't try to establish that as a universal rule, but I will. I mentioned it's good and everyone should try to <laughs> to properly embrace the conception and engage in that in a healthy way. If that's not healthy, we need st- still to speak further about that, <laughs> something like that. But thanks for mentioning the, the idea and greetings to Frodo over there as well.
2: Thank you, thank you for this very, very nice and balanced answer. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Okay, so I think we will stop here. Thank you so much for all to all for your time, your patience. Shri Gurudev ki jai, Shri Man Mahaprago ki jai, Shri Hari Naam Sankirtan ki jai, Gor Bhaktabrindha ki jai, Gor Haribo.